Welcome to 7-Minute Torah. I'm Rabbi Micah Streifer. In this podcast, we explore the weekly Torah portion in about 7 to 10 minutes. We make modern meaning out of ancient texts, exploring them through liberal Jewish eyes. To become a supporter of this podcast, please visit patreon.com slash 7-Minute Torah. Welcome everybody to 7-Minute Torah. We have a really interesting conversation for you today. This is going to be an interview episode, and my guest today is Rabbi Barbara Simons. She's a congregational rabbi and also the editor of a very interesting new book about Haftarah. The portion this week is a double parsha of Vayakel Pekudei. This parsha essentially brings the work of building the Mishkan, building the sanctuary in the desert to an end, and also brings the book of Exodus to an end. And Rabbi Simons and I are going to focus not only on the Torah portion, but also on the Haftarah, the section from the prophets that's traditionally read right after the Torah is read in sanctuary services, and on a very interesting new way of thinking about Haftarah that she's promoting. Now, as a reminder, when we do these interview episodes, that we talk Parsha for about the first 10 to 12 minutes. In this case, I think it ends up being something like 13 or 14 minutes. And then we'll take a short break, and then we'll continue with a broader conversation about Haftarah and about the voice of the prophets and the ways that we Jews today are seeking prophetic voices that will inspire us to make the world a better place and to build the lives that we'd like to be living. All right, Rabbi Barbara Simons, welcome to 7-Minute Torah. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. I'm thrilled to be able to talk with you today. So you are the rabbi of Temple David in Monroeville, Pennsylvania, correct? Yes, right outside of Pittsburgh. Excellent. And you are also more recently, and very excitingly, the editor of a brand new volume that's called Prophetic Voices, Renewing and Reimagining Haftarah. And I have lots of questions for you about that. I want to know all about the book. And we're going to segue from our Parsha conversation into talking about the book and the project behind it. So if it's okay with you, let's start off talking about this week's Torah portion. Absolutely. So this week's Torah portion is a double portion. So it's Vayakhel Pikudei. We decided to focus just on Pikudei. So, so they are similar, however. Uh, both of them are, are showing the conclusion of creating the tabernacle, the Mishkan, in the wilderness. And so a lot of things are happening in the portion. And I want to give an overview because I actually want to get to the Haftarah and how it connects. So they start by naming the workers, right? The portion starts with uh, naming the Levites and Bitzel and Ahola Biab, who, who uh, together are the, you know, sort of architects of this whole thing. Um, they account for the materials used. They make the vestments for Aaron and his sons. They complete the tabernacle and the furnishings. They set it up for the first time. They consecrate it. They consecrate Aaron and his sons. They light lamps. They give offerings. And then the cloud covers the temple and the presence kavod of God filled it. Right. So this is essentially the conclusion of these, I guess we have now about three to four weeks of 
building the Mishkan, right, of construction and instructions around the sanctuary. So what we have here, and this is also the end of the book of Exodus, right, we have here the dedication and the setting up of this actual holy space. Absolutely. So we would, if reading Torah, would say, Hazak, Hazak, Benit, Hazak. We'd have finished a book of Torah, and we will move on past those few inches of white space into Leviticus, where, lo and behold, we're going to really be focused on the sacrifices and so forth. So the Haftarah, and Haftarah means conclusion. The Haftarah uh, comes from First Kings. Um, 1 Kings 751 to 821. Um, and so, so I just want to give a quick summary, if you don't mind. So there's a completion of the temple by Solomon. So now we've moved ahead. The Israelites are no longer in the wilderness. They've gotten into the land. David, what King David was not allowed to build, the first temple. So his son Solomon is the one who takes this on. So it is completed uh, the transfer of the ark and the tent of meeting and its holy vessels happen. So, so it's not just an empty structure. With the transfer, um, the period of the wilderness wandering is is over. The tabernacle, the moving tent, is no longer because now you have a fixed structure. Um, the dedication is on Sukkot, which, by the way, uh, for those who read who have a second day of Sukkot. This is actually what's read there as well. Uh, Sinai symbols are deposited as Eitz Chaim puts it. I like how they said that. Um, and Jerusalem becomes the sacred center of the nation. So we hear a lot of connection, obviously, right? You finish, not only you finish one project in, in, in one book and, and the other, but also in the Haftar as well, there is this, this cloud, um, the cloud that filled the house of Adonai for the presence of Adonai filled the house of Adonai is in our Haftarah. So we have God's presence. God is everywhere, of course, but God's presence specifically being noted in the Mishkan, the tabernacle, um, and also in the temple. Right. That and, was exactly the same way that the Parsha ended, right? Yes, By saying right. that God's presence descends onto the Mishkan and is present yes. in that holy space. Right. So it's really great, right? In terms of we completely get why this Haftarah connects to the Torah portion. Sometimes that doesn't work so well, but that'll be maybe what we talk about a little bit later. Mm -hmm. This time it works so beautifully, um, but it's also a little unusual, right? So it is a narrative Haftarah. There is no Isaiah or Ezekiel or Amos or whoever yelling at us, as it right. were. Uh, no calling us out, right? Calling us to test, getting us to repent, do whatever. It's narrative. Okay, we completely get what the connection is. Um, for me, that's on the one hand, fabulous. And I love learning more about the traditional prophetic portions. And on the other hand, it leaves me wanting. Uh, there's no call to action. When we think about this idea of prophetic Judaism, we probably think of maybe social justice stuff more, but this doing. So I leave this Haftarah and I and it's a conclusionary reading. It's the last sacred text before the end of the service, right? And I think now what? You know, what do I what do I do with this? How do I take this forward? And there's no guide. 
Right. So you're looking for a Haftarah, for this prophetic reading after the Torah portion, to leave you with some kind of takeaway, right? To send you out into the world looking to or inspired to make the world better somehow, which, of course, a lot of Haftarot do, right? Sometimes we have the prophets, as you point, you might have said, yelling at us or telling us to go out and make the world better. This time we don't. We have this beautiful story of the completion of the temple, right? So in other words, that's that's not satisfying from a social justice perspective, right? Right. So on the one hand, we might feel, oh, I understand the Haftarah. I understand the connection. We don't always, we can't always say that. Um, and yet, I don't know what I do with that. Do I take that back into the world? You know, soon we'll say Aleinu in a service and we'll say Kaddish and we'll have a closing song. Maybe we'll have some good food. But what has this done for me as I move forward? So, so the idea of the book is to find calls for action through contemporary interpretation. Here's what happens in the book. I won't belabor this because we can talk about it later, but we have two contemporary interpretations with calls to action hmm. and two alternative texts. Because again, Haftarah does not mean prophets. It's not Nevi'im, it's conclusion. And so there are conclusionary uh, different texts from the span of Jewish history um, with interpretations and with calls to action. So for example, um, Peter Rigler, Rabbi Peter Rigler, um, uses, it looks at this Torah and Haftarah portion that we just talked about and speaks of an illness, yearning for home, yearning for a diagnosis to sort of ground yourself, right? Um, that we feel like wanders. We don't kind of know where we are in, uh, in an illness. And so once we can feel that we have a a, a permanency in some sense of here's a diagnosis and mm -hmm. here's a way forward. Um, it becomes a call to action in the sense of self-care. So here he takes it a very different, but very powerful route. Yeah. So I can see the connection. I might look at this portion and really, and, and see our people coming home, so to speak. And in the Haftarah, it's very much about literally coming home, building a permanent house for God there in Jerusalem. And back in the Torah portion, it's this traveling home, right? This Mishkan that they're going to carry with them through the desert, which hopefully gives a sense of comfort, a sense of groundedness. And so to relate that to being sick and to needing the groundedness that comes from knowing, or he says, having a name for what's for your ailment, that there is this need for home and comfort. Now that, of course, the, that's not what the Torah portion is about. It's not what the Haftarah is about. And yet we can look at this text and we can see that this is a universal need, yeah. that, that we can connect to this text um, in terms of our own lives. Right. So he takes it a very different place, but we recognize that neither the Mishkan, the tabernacle, nor the temple stand, right? So if we take them both, in a sense, in a maybe metaphoric way, he takes it this way, right? If, if we do an a different alternative interpretation, um, Rabbi Victor Appel 
um, talks about how neither of them stand, right? But at the same time, the ark for us is still very present, right? We have we have sacred moments in front of the ark um, within synagogues and so forth. And and so the idea being that it's not only, however, the ark. So we can we can expand that notion to Judaica and Jewish artwork can be the hmm. focus and connecting us to one another and to God. And, and it's so interesting to think about how the Mishkan, this traveling temple, is like a piece of Judaica that you can take with you, right? An ark is one thing. It sits in the sanctuary in the corner and it's holy, but my Shabbat candlesticks that belong to my grandmother or the candlesticks I give my child to take away to university with them, these are traveling items. We've now taken something that was so far in the past and really only the Levites and the Kohanim could get really up close and personal with it, right? Hmm. That that here, yeah, we can look at look at Bubby's candlesticks or we can look at this brand new Seder plate that we bought when we were in, visiting Israel or one of my favorite things is our the um the uh holla cover that my now 26 year old daughter has created when she was four hmm. right but it becomes sacred right I have and one so, of those also right of course right so now now the idea of of bringing it forward right and and saying wait I can look at this through a different lens I think is really important and it does connect to the Torah and the Haftarah broadly um, but it takes it further oh wait a minute you know maybe those candlesticks or that kiddush cup should come out of the break front maybe we should tell a story about it maybe we should put some wine into it I love it I want to take a break right now. This gives us something to think about as we take these ancient texts and we make them new and we bring them into our own lives. And when we come back in a moment, maybe you can tell us more about the alternative Haftarot and the the new texts that you and the authors you're working with have brought to help us contextualize this Torah portion. Fabulous. Hi, everybody. While we take our brief break, let me just remind you that starting next Monday, March 20th, I'm launching a six-week study group of Pirkei Avot, the Talmud's Tractate of Ethical Teachings. We're going to meet every Monday afternoon at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, so that's noon Pacific Time, for an hour on Zoom, and we'll study this very interesting and very accessible tractate of the Mishnah both as a larger group and in smaller chavruta study. If you're interested, you can go to laasok.org, L-A-A-S-O-K.org, and find out more information, or send me an email at rabbistreifer at gmail.com. And now back to my interview with Rabbi Barbara Simons. All right, welcome back. So in the last segment, you told us about how we might understand the traditional Haftarah, which relates very well to this Torah portion, but maybe is a little bit challenging to relate to our own lives. But I know that within this chapter of your book, you've also given an alternative Haftarah, a text that does not come from the prophets, but that might be read as a Haftarah for this Parsha. Can you tell us more about it? 
Gladly. And I'll just say that for, for every Parsha and holiday, we actually have two alternatives, but we're going to go with one actually from the Bavli, from the ba Babylonian Talmud. And it's this story about a stolen beam. So remember that in the uh, Torah portion, we're talking about, you know, uh, uh, accounting for all of the materials used in building the Mishkan uh, and then setting up and consecrating it. And so here we have a beam, right? So there's this long beam of wood, we might imagine, right? And it was stolen. And the problem is, what? how do you, how do you pay that back? Right. So so there's a story from um, getting 55A and it talks about how there is a debate between Hillel and Shemai, as there always is. Right. Of how do you pay back? Do you actually have to get that beam back? So imagine you built a structure and the beam is on the very bottom of the structure. Do you tear down the entire structure, give the actual beam back? Because that's only what is fair. Um, forget what happens to the owner of this structure, right? We're just worried about that beam getting back. Or do you compensate for the value of the beam, right? So we would imagine Hillel, as usual, is a little bit more flexible than Shammai and says, yeah, right, you compensate for it and so forth. But but here's here's what happens with Rabbi Michael Feshbach, who brought forward this as an alternative, and I love this alternative. Um, I say that about all of them, but I, I do. <laughs> You're allowed, um, it's your book. You know, right? So, okay. So it says, what if an entire community, a whole country even, is built on the value of stolen beams? Mm -hmm. We face in our lives and our countries a realization and a reckoning. Much of what we have is built neither on fairness nor on justice. May we be open to reflection, repentance, reconciliation, and perhaps even reparation to make right the wrongs that are so subtly embedded in the lives we enjoy. So this idea, again, of that's the call to action, right? He takes something that completely connects and he brings it forward in a way that's completely contemporary. So we don't only have to be talking about a physical beam, though, you know, you can't help thinking about um, the book cast, right? And the whole metaphor of, of a house built, right? How is that yeah. house built? What's, what's foundational to it? But he brings that forward for us to really think about through Aleinu and then Kaddish and then the closing song and at, at Kiddush afterwards and out into the world. What do we do with that? Yeah, you know, one of the main themes of this Parsha, the reason it's called Pekude, which means records, is that it starts with this listing, this record of the materials that were used in the Mishkan. And the, the rabbis in the Midrash say that this was so that no one would imagine that anything was stolen. Uh, you know, all these items were used and here's exactly how they got used. And so the idea of, of justice then actually is central to the Torah portion. So to then bring a, a haftarah, a new haftarah that relates that question of justice to the society we're living in. What happens when materials are misused? What happens when people's labor is misused? What happens when people are misused and then the structure gets built on top of the misuse of people? How do you make that right? Exactly. So I think that this is, is very energizing to be able to have this kind of text from our tradition be able to bring us forward. Yeah, it's a very creative project to rethink and find new meaning in Haftarah, both the traditional Haftarot, as you pointed out before our break, and also this idea of 
finding new haftarot, of finding new texts that help us connect with the original themes or with new themes that arise from these ancient Torah portions. So tell us a little more broadly about the book. I know the book is called Prophetic Voices, Renewing and Reimagining Haftarah. And you've already hinted at this in our conversation, but what is the project of this work that was just published? Right. So the so the idea here is that often we call our Judaism prophetic Judaism. And yet we often don't hear the prophets. So even the traditional prophets, we, we don't hear the prophets, right? And so if we think about it, there are many congregations that either only have the Haftarah, which is from Nevi'im, from the prophets, mm -hmm. uh, chanted in Hebrew, and then not even read in English, right? Or we read it in English, we don't quite know what it means, right? Even right. in English. Or we can't figure out the context. Or we read a section of the Torah portion that wasn't where the Haftarah is related to. So, you know, if in my congregation, we read the beginning of the Torah portion, but the Haftarah, the prophetic portion is related to the end of the Torah portion, there's a disconnect there automatically. So the idea was to bring forward prophetic voices and allow them to call us to action. Like Isaiah did, I used the word yell at us before, but they do, right? They use everything at their disposal to get our attention. Sometimes what that is is difficult for us, right? Sometimes the metaphor used, metaphors used are either ones that are ancient and we just don't connect to them, or sometimes in our modern time, they're actually offensive. Um, and so it, so the idea is to be able to better hear the prophets. But beyond that, the idea is to say, wait a minute, what if we have prophet-like voices? I don't believe that whether it's the Talmud or Yehuda Amichai or Ruth Bader Ginsburg, all of whom are in the book, um, are prophets. But hmm. I do believe they're prophet-like. I think they're calling us to action. And, and so what happened was we did an open call um, for people to participate, and largely they're rabbis and cantors, but there are others as well, to bring forward whether it is interpretations and calls to action for the traditional haftarah or alternatives from the canon of Jewish literacy. One of the beautiful parts, actually, is when people actually bring forward prophets, Nevi'im, as an alternative. So hmm. that's really interesting because what it does is it opens us up to more than the 10 or 20 verses that we get, even if we hear from Isaiah an awful lot in the course of the Haftarah cycle, based on what Isaiah wrote, it's it's a pittance, right? Let alone some of the other prophets aren't even, you know, don't even make it at all or or barely make it, right? And so uh so we we learn more about the prophets, but we we also invited people from anywhere in the Jewish canon to bring forward a text. And the way that we framed it was that they needed to feel that it fit between the blessings. So we have alternative blessings also, because if you're going to read one of these portions, it's not appropriate to read the Hafra blessing because it's it's not prophet. Um, and also it might not be on Shabbat, which maybe we'll talk about a bit later. Right? It could be a different time. But, but that being said, that it is um, encased by blessings and that it is 
from just remarkable, remarkable sources throughout Jewish history. In other words, it's a sanctification of, or a liturgization, if that's a word, of these amazing prophetic sources by encasing them in blessing and by using them as part of a liturgical moment. Let me ask you about prophets, because we keep talking about prophets, and I think for a lot of people, a prophet is someone who predicts the future, or someone who's clairvoyant, but I get the sense that you're using the word in a different way. Can you tell us what you mean by prophet? So when I've been teaching this now, and actually have learned so much more after I got the go-ahead from the CCR Press to do it, but um, I've been teaching and asking the question of if you were going to create a job description for a profit, what would it be, right? If you're going to put it into the you know local paper online or whatever, what would it be? And so most people say, well, something about predicting the future, and actually, the prophets don't really do that. There's a very limited amount of what they do with that. So the example I give is if, you know, in ancient times when um, there was Israel to the north and Judea and the south and, and the Assyrians had, had invaded the north and the north was no longer, um, the prophets in the south in Judea would say, look, if you don't get back on track, what happened to your northern friends and relatives um, is going to happen to you. Yes, right. That's looking ahead with eyes wide open, but it's not predicting, you know, some something out of the blue is going to happen. Right. Right. So a prophet is, first of all, called by God. Um, and second of all, if you look at Abraham Joshua Heschel's book, The Prophets, right, he talks a lot about how as a person, he is the microphone, right? He he isn't the microphone, right? He he's not just like saying what God says, but he he encompasses it. He lives that life. Um, and it's only he, there traditionally, and Judaism has two Jews, three opinions, but often thought of <laughs> as as uh 48 male prophets and seven female prophets, not all actually found in Nevi'im. Some are found in uh in other parts of the Hebrew Bible. But so that being said, that that um they are whether you call it speaking truth to power, right. whether you call it comforting the afflicted and afflicting the comfortable. Um, I believe it was Heschel who said that with, with, with God, he takes the side of the people. With the people, he takes the side of God. Um, and again, I just use he because unfortunately, very rarely do we hear uh, female prophets' voices. Uh, that's also something that the book is able to respond to in terms of texts being from women's voices. Um, but so so the prophet is one who does have to have the ability to make his or her voice heard and uh, really has to recognize, and they do because they're really reluctant. You, If you read basically chapter one, verse one of most prophets, you'll see how, mm -hmm. no, thank you, God. I don't, I don't want to do, right? Yeah, no one's looking for this job description, right? No, really not. And, and the people are really going to not want to hear what you have to say because you're mm -hmm. trying to get them to repent and to change. Yeah, I just finished reading Heschel's The Prophets also. I was writing a paper on it for a class I was taking last um, late last year. Heschel says that God's voice is calling out all the time with a demand for justice and that most of us just don't hear it. So the prophet is the one who hears it and translates that message for the rest of us. And so you can see then in a sense how a prophet 
yes, we have literary prophets. The, the Bible is full of these books of prophets. But you can see how someone living in a later time period could also be a prophet who could convey this, this message of justice, this requirement of justice to the rest of the world. Right. And so, you know, in the in the essays at the beginning of the book, it talks about, so who are the prophets and how did Haftarah come to be? And one of the ideas of how Haftarah came to be is that it was um, the rabbi's attempt to get people to uh, to get back to the land of Israel, sovereignty in Israel and rebuilding the temple. Right. Because this is post 70, post destruction. Right. And, and so this is what the main goal is, well, our challenge here is we are back in Israel. Some of us aren't praying for the reconstruction of the temple. And what do we what do we do with that then if that's the main message, right? But I also just bring us back to the Parsha we studied briefly. Um, and that is that the traditional Haftarah, again, is is a great connection and and it's and it's clear and we understand it. But picturing that beam that was stolen in some way might get us to move more, more uh, like the prophets would call us out and Heschel would call us out um, than would the actual Haftra portion for the week. Right. I like that. It, it brings to my mind um, a thought and a question. The thought is that I often think that the, the role of the prophet is not to predict the future, which is what a lot of people think, but rather to change the future, right? That the prophet's job is actually to inspire us to create a different, a different future. So let me ask you a question. It seems in, in some ways, this is a, this is a chutzpahdik kind of project to choose new haftarot, right? The haftarot are set. They've been set for a long time. So who are we as modern Jews to say, we're going to replace the haftarot. We're going to find new passages to insert into our service that will um, help inspire us. And we're going to call them Haftarot. Yes, agreed. I think it's, I think it, part of it is that it's a continuum. So on the one hand, you're right. Um, but Rick Saracen, um, I should say Dr. Richard Saracen from HUC, wrote a, an essay in the beginning that talks about the evolution of the Haftarah, right? It wasn't always set. Um, and so, uh, you know, I think last week's was 39 verses, which is a particularly long one. Um, usually it's like 10 or 20 verses. It used to be three verses, right? So it used to be very short mm-hmm. uh, and it could be about anything, right? And, and it evolved. There's only about actually this time of year approaching Pesach and then more holidays were put in, unclear when the whole Shabbat cycle came into be. But even the Shabbat cycle changes. And even in a traditional, more traditional synagogue, at least in mine, if you have a triennial cycle of reading Torah, which means that, you know, first year you read the first third and the second year, the second third and so forth, that you you would have a different Haftarah, right? So already there's change, right? Uh, hmm. Because so it, so part of this is, is yes, chutzpahdik, but part <laughs> of this is we uh, many, many congregations skip the Haftarah outright right? So they don't hear it at all. Or like I said before, they only hear it in Hebrew. And imagine this, right? Imagine the kid who in studying for, for B'nai Mitzvah has been, has been working and working, working on chanting the Haftra. If you ask them right now, even if they became Barbat Mitzvah last, last year, 
Do they know who the prophet was? Do they know what it talked about? Often the answer is no. The idea of this is to help them in also, right? What is this about? Or help the person studying with them. What is this What is this Haftarah about? Um, so already people aren't hearing the Haftarah either literally or just because it's not translated or it's not being studied as is the Torah portion. So this is an opportunity to make another text relevant that mm-hmm. brings forward. And, and actually, I like to mistranslate the word haftra. So it, again, it means conclusion. Um, but I like to mistranslate it to mean punctuation, that the haftra punctuates the Torah portion, right? It, it, it brings it forward in a different way. And it makes it, uh, it, it, these, these interpretations as well as these alternatives make it so that we then go out and do something about it, right? Mm. So yeah, you're right. It's chutzpah And I think that for some people say, you you can't do that. Then you know what? For the Tuesday text study that you have at your synagogue, read the traditional interpretations and have a dialogue um, between those and the alternatives. It doesn't have to be on the Bema. And in fact, I think that that's one of that is one of my goals. It to not, I usually say, imprison it on the bima. Mm-hmm. Think of how many Jews now are in the pews, so to speak, during Shabbat and festival worship, right? Those are the only ones that are hearing the Haftra, probably. Maybe those who also come to Torah study, as it were. But if we can bring it out into study opportunities, into interfaith gatherings, think of right. Uh, my Christian colleagues, I will say uh, with embarrassment, know tremendously more about the Hebrew prophets than I do, right? Mm-hmm. Bring it forward, study together, whether you study Isaiah or you study like the Haftar and bring forward the alternatives, right? Um, but the idea is to get it out there and not just on the Bema for a few minutes on a given day. Right. It's a great example, actually, of how Judaism is often much more dynamic than maybe then we think it is, right? We think these Haftarot are just set. What's the Haftarah for this week? Well, it's from Isaiah, and that's what you read, and and that's how it works. But um, to your point, the Haftarot were put there for a reason. Somebody chose these sections for a reason, and the reason was to inspire us. And even that practice in and of itself has evolved. And so in a sense, what you're doing, and I know I called it chutzpahdik, but, and, and I think it is, but I think in a good way that this is, this chutzpahdik project really continues what has been a centuries old project of finding texts that connect us with the, the themes of the Torah portions and that inspire us to go out and bring those themes into, into the real world. And, and by the way, right, so if we pick up any Chumash, right, the, the book with the Torah and the Haftra in it, that you're going to see on occasion when it says for the Ashkenazi uh, tradition and for the Sephardi tradition, you already have alternatives, mm-hmm. right? They're already there. They're right there for us. So, yes, absolutely. And and so hopefully this, you know, will inspire people. To, wait, wait, I just read Isaiah. I want to know more about Isaiah or Wow, Ezekiel has some really interesting visions. What was that about, right? Who knows? You could get into the whole Merkava, right? Mysticism movement right through him. But but the idea is that it's not only that small section, but that it might engage you to look further, hmm. right? Which is the case with all of these different alternatives as well. 
And, and so let's talk about those alternatives. What criteria were you using when you went to find an alternative Haftarah? And maybe tell us about some of the more interesting voices that you've brought as Haftarah in this, in this new project. So it was an open call and it was texts from Jewish tradition. And, and again, not long texts, so largely they are, they are relatively shorter texts mm-hmm. that, um, that fit between the blessings, as I said before, right? That, that was the criteria. And we looked at it and, and very rarely did we, and when I say we, uh, shout out to the CCR press who are remarkable and Rabbi Sonia Pills in particular, who's the editor who I worked with, um, rarely do we say no, right? The no was only if it was being used elsewhere, right? So if I just said, here's an assignment, everybody, read Piku Day, this week's Parsha, and find something from Jewish tradition that isn't in the Torah, because we already have the Torah part, that connects in and inspires us to move forward, what would you find? Well, there's not only one or two answers to that, right? Um, But what came forward was just absolutely remarkable. So there are um, again, we already looked at Talmud because we had Hillel and Shammai as our example, but there are, um, there's Maimonides, there's Buber, there is, uh, which is philosophy, there is um, poetry, medieval to modern, lots of women's voices, Ruth Bader Ginsburg and others, there are, um, there are some uh, official uh, declarations and documents. Um, uh, there are, uh, there's a play in there about a love story between David and Jonathan. Um, there are music lyrics. Um, and in fact, that's one way we're bringing this forward is I'm working with musicians to create music um, based on the traditional or non-traditional Haftarah um, in, in order to bring that forward. So it could be a camp song session or it could be the closing song of services, right? Or whatever it might be. Um, but anyway, so so it's a remarkable array. I will say the most controversial, I believe, um, is Karl Marx. Hmm. Um, I think Groucho Marx, Marx would be less controversial than Karl Marx. <laughs> but, um, but you know what? Is he, a, is he a prophet? Absolutely not. Right. Absolutely not. But does he, is he prophet like in a, in a way? I mean, if you think of what he was saying in his purest form and the number of people he influenced, he changed societies. And, and even the, um, the person who brought it forward notes that, you know, we have a lot of issues with Karl Marx. We get it. We also know he wasn't the proudest Jew, right? We get it. And at the same time, the call to care for all of society is something that is completely what the traditional prophets say, right? So, so they're just all different voices that are just exquisite, um, and uh, and and they really bring forward the Torah text or the holiday text. Yeah, it sounds like really an amazing array. And as I was flipping through, an amazing array of different thinkers, in addition to some of the ones you're mentioning, Martin Buber, I know there's also a poem from Yehuda Amichai, that might have been this week's Parsha, actually, um, a poem from Yehuda Amichai, a reading from Rabbi Abraham Geiger, a, a, a modern reading from Rabbi Zoe Klein. So, you know, spanning the gamut of centuries, these amazing texts that I think can help inspire us, both to connect with the Torah portion, and also, as you said, to go out into the world and bring 
those values and those visions to fruition in our own lives. So, so yes, right? Yes, and yes, and um, it it's phenomenal. I mean, I did not know many of these texts, and so I have been using them right and left. I mean, it, it doesn't only have to be in the Haftra slot, right? So sometimes Friday night during worship, I will bring forward one of the texts, and you know, um, and 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 uh, it's just so powerful to read them. But but there's another section to the to the book um, that I just want to make sure we at least mention. And that was the American Jewish calendar, as we called it. And so can I can I go there? Is that okay for a second here? Yeah. Yeah, go there. So so um that was putting out there uh dates such as I, I and I don't remember off the top of my head exactly what they were, but like you know, July 4th and MLK and um and uh breast cancer awareness Shabbat and Pride Shabbat and inviting people to bring it forward, right? G give us one, we only did one in this case, alternative, because obviously there's no Haftra for any of these, mm -hmm. including like two Bishvat, right? Jewish holidays also, there's no regular uh, Haftra. Give, a, give us a text and an uh, interpretation of call to action, right? And so 42, 42, mm -hmm. and I have to tell you, I didn't even know all the holidays. I mean, it, it was fat. I've just learned so much. So one that I picked out, and it's hard because, you know, since I've started teaching this book, which I started teaching before it actually came out in book form, um, I just teach according to the weekly parsha because there's so much there. But here it is. So for Indigenous Peoples Day, right? So from the speeches of Justice Raquel Montoya Lewis, she um, has uh both a, um, she says, my ancestors on both sides of my family survived genocide, survived institutional boarding schools, survived attempts to eradicate their cultures. And as my father reminded me, often we survived. So one side of her family is the Jewish side and one is the native side. Mm. And she talks about, I come from people who persisted People were lucky enough to survive, and my existence is dependent upon those people's persistence and resilience. From both sides of my family, there's a very heavy emphasis on the importance of education. And she goes into, of course, the importance of justice. She ends this way. I'm just skipping around for time. For me, justice is not an abstract concept. Justice is a term of action and I believe as judges and justices that we are called to do justice. I, I mean, wow. Yeah. I didn't know her writing. I think it's fabulous to have a piece for Indigenous Peoples Day. Rabbi Jane Littman is the one who brought this forward. And, and Rabbi Littman's end, her call to action is, from the biblical judge Deborah through Lois Brandeis and Ruth Bader Ginsburg. So she's created, right, this genealogy of Jewish judges, Jewish American judges. Uh, uh, Jewish society has affirmed the worth of the judicial vocation. Raquel Montoya Lewis is another such leader for both her peoples. What can you do to uphold her values? Hmm. Which, of course, puts us in the line, in a very ancient line of people who have cared in a Jewish way that society be just, 
right? And so the, there is no more ancient Jewish value than that. We find it all over the Torah. And so, you know, here in, in a modern way, here we are listening to a modern voice, which again is connecting us back with this very ancient value. And I'll point out for the sake of our listeners that you're calling this the American Jewish calendar. And most of our listenership is American, but of course, not all. We have lots of um, listeners in Canada and other places around the world. I'm in Canada. And so a lot of these really are um, relevant in in these what we'd call non-Jewish occasions are relevant around the world as well, uh, including Black History Month and International Women's Day, Transgender Day of Visibility, Earth Day is on here, Yom Ha'atzma'ut, Mother's Day. So, you know, these are days that mark important moments and important values in our lives. And the idea here, if I understand, is to liturgize and to um, and to bring holiness, to bring um, to bring a sense of Jewish holiness to these moments that really do um, dovetail with our Jewish values. And my apologies. That was very haughty oh. to say American. That is not what I should have said. But but I appreciate that you're bringing it forward. And here's the thing about the book. This is not as 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 maybe haughty as it is, right? As you said, it's not the end all, right? So, right, for for Canadian holidays, think of a text from our Jewish tradition that brings it forward, right? Um, that That's the beauty of this whole thing. So in the end, this is a project of finding contemporary or more recent Jewish texts that express our values and lifting them up as part of Jewish life, whether it be through worship, whether it be through study, music, as you point out. This is a way of bringing these important texts that, as you say, many of us probably have never heard before into our Jewish lives in all these varieties of ways. Um, well, Rabbi Barbara Simons, I want to thank you for spending some time with me today. I know your book launch is tonight, Tuesday evening, so good luck as you launch this um, wonderful new volume of Prophetic Voices. One last question. What do you, what do you hope will be the impact? What do you hope this book will bring to the Jewish community and to the world? All right, this is the chutzpah part. I hope that I can have a little bit of a role in bringing back prophetic Judaism, that when we say the term, there's something that it stands on. And again, prophetic could be the actual prophets or prophet-like text, but that we can really be looking at who are the prophets and who are the voices that throughout our history that we need to be listening to. Wonderful. Thank you for spending some time with me today. And thank you for this amazing contribution to our Jewish discourse. Thank you so very much. That's my interview with Rabbi Barbara Simons. Her book is called Prophetic Voices. And whether you read the book or not, I appreciate the inspiration to study the prophets and the reminder that our tradition is full of what we might call prophetic voices voices that translate the imperative for justice, the imperative to repair and to do tikkun for every generation. And that's what we're trying to do here at 7-Minute Torah, of course, among other things, as we dig into these ancient texts, looking for meaning for our own lives, for the world that we're living in, and for the lives that we would like to be living. So thanks for joining with me. Thanks for sticking with me through this conversation. And with this, we finish the book of Exodus. Chazak, chazak, venit chazek. Be strong, be strong, and let us strengthen one another. And when we meet next week, 
we'll open the book of Vayikra or Leviticus. See you then. 7-Minute Torah is a production of La Asok, Sacred Texts, Modern Meaning. If you enjoyed this program, please consider becoming a sponsor at patreon.com slash 7-Minute Torah. For more information about upcoming learning opportunities, go to laasoka.org, L-A-A-S-O-K dot org. I'm Rabbi Micah Streifer. Thanks for listening.